The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 11th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Be seated. On the church calendar, every single year, whether it's Matthew or Mark or Luke or John's turn to tell us the story, every year the same person shows up both three and two weeks before Christmas and tells us to prepare to get ready for the coming of Jesus. And that every year same Advent person's name, of course, is John the Baptist. And whereas a lot of us this time of year, I think, kind of want to just get ready and prepare for Christmas and the baby Jesus, soft and gentle, meek and mild, and away in a manger, John the Baptist, at least when we first meet him, away, way, 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 way out there in the wilderness, just north of the Dead Sea, doesn't know anything about soft and gentle. He does not coo lullabies. He shouts warnings. He does not talk about the coming of Mary's little baby boy. He talks about the coming of our Lord and our judge who is not just coming. John says he is, let me make this very clear, John says he is coming after sinners. And so John says to get ready for his coming, not by listening to Mannheim steamrollers silent night while you drink hot chocolate and watch those lights twinkle on your tree but by getting down on your knees and repenting of your sins and then getting up off of your knees to shape up, to stop sinning, lest the Messiah, when he comes, does to you what he sure as heaven's wrath will do with sinners, says John, chop you down like the spiritually dead wood you are and then throw you into that fire where spiritually dead wood surely belongs. Or to say the same thing in the words of Matthew 3, which was last week's assigned gospel text. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one, this is Matthew commenting, this is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and and wild honey. And then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John the Baptist is an imposing figure. He's a daunting figure. He's a not maybe necessarily a likable figure, frankly, who nevertheless figures in to our worship services every year during the season of Advent because Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Jesus himself say that he was sent by God precisely to prepare people for the coming of the Son of God who, John said very clearly, make no mistake about it, is coming after sinners. But once every three years, on that year when Matthew's gospel is our storyteller, because Matthew's actually the only one who tells this, once every third year, on the third Sunday of Advent, that's today, John makes another appearance in our Advent worship, except this time he's singing singing an entirely different song. And it's a song... I personally am so glad each Advent tide that at least Matthew, anyway, lets John sing. First of all, because it's a song which reminds me that John, even John, boldly superhuman in some ways, is still nevertheless human. And second of all, because it's a song which, I don't know, but maybe a lot of us who sometimes lament that we are all too human probably know the words to. And I think there's something in its own way kind of comforting, at least for me, that John, someone like John the Baptist, for goodness sakes, knows the words to a song like this too. Because unlike all the other stories in the Bible in which John stars, stories in which he is shouting at sinners, even even politically and religiously connected sinners, that they were going to get what they had coming to them when the Messiah coming after sinners got there. In today's reading, John isn't shouting. He's wondering. And what he's wondering is if Jesus, to whom he had so boldly pointed, is the one he should have been pointing to. He wonders if Jesus, the one he had actually told some of his own disciples to go and follow instead of following him, was in fact someone to be followed. He wonders if his mom's cousin Mary's boy, the one who had made his heart leap within him the first time he laid eyes on him, he wondered if he was actually worthy of his heart. 
John wondered, in other words, and a lot of people don't realize that John thought something like this, much less ever said it out loud, but there it is right in the Bible. John, the for crying out loud Baptist, wondered if he'd been wrong about Jesus. At least I don't know how else to read Matthew 11, 2 and 3. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? John wonders if he'd been wrong in giving his life, his whole life, and the whole of his hopes to Jesus. Wonders why? Well, wonders, I think, for two reasons which are named right in the first ten words of that verse I just read for you. Matthew 11, verse 2, which says, When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing. The first reason John wonders, has some doubts about Jesus, he's in prison. More precisely, he is in King Herod's prison. And the reason he is there is because he has confronted King Herod about the fact that seducing and having an affair and then marrying his brother's wife was wickedly sinful and he needed to repent of his sins right now and get out of that sinful relationship right now. And John said that and he kept saying that and finally he said it, was saying it publicly and Herod arrested him, put him in prison to try to get him to stop saying that or if he wouldn't stop saying that, at least have him saying it where nobody could hear. And if you've read the story, you know, and I'm thinking at this point John himself also knew, that soon and very soon he was going to die there in Herod's prison at Herod's command. And John had, you see, looked to the coming of the Messiah as a day when evil was going to get what it had coming to it and the world was going to be changed and it was going to be changed for good. But now he was here in Herod's prison and Herod is evil and so far anyway, as far as John can tell, Jesus had come and it hadn't changed anything. So, are you the one who is to come? He, from prison, messages Jesus. Or was I wrong about you? And about placing my hopes in you? And about thinking that the whole purpose of my whole life was to have been wholly you? The first reason John had for wondering about Jesus Doubting his faith in Jesus, perhaps, was a reason some of us, anyway, are no doubt familiar with, because we've been there too. Not in Herod's prison, but in different prisons of one sort or another that have felt just as dark. And we've wondered then, maybe, maybe even some of us are wondering right now, how come if Jesus is the light of the world, there's still so much dark in the world? I mean, come on, Jesus, show your hand. It's a mess out there, and the mess makers seem to be extending their lead. Ever been there? It is, isn't it, kind of in its own way comforting that even John the Baptist was there at least once too. 
But then on top of that, there's the second reason that John has for his doubts and his questions. It's also found in those words from Matthew 11 too. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing. If John's first cause for doubt was because of what Jesus wasn't doing about people like Herod in this sinful world, John's second cause for doubt came when he heard the kind of things that Jesus was doing with all kinds of other sinners in this sinful world. Because John, remember, had talked, preached, shouted, carried on, ranted, harangued about the Messiah with an axe in his hand coming to judge and clear the world of sinners. But Jesus, and John hears this and he keeps hearing it, Jesus has been running around friending sinners. So there Jesus is, John is in prison at the hands of a sinner. Shouldn't be, he thinks. And there Jesus is out there hanging around with sinners. Shouldn't be, John thinks. Which leads, I think, to a truth that's almost as close as the definition to irony as I could probably come up with. And that is the truth. That the one who, above all, in the Bible and in history and in our Advent worship this time of year, tells people to prepare for the coming of Jesus was himself not completely prepared for and was even a little bit disillusioned about Jesus, when he, the one he proclaimed to be coming. He was not prepared for who he came to be when he came. William Ritter, reflecting on this text, suggests this. Feeling disillusioned sometimes in your faith life may not necessarily be a bad thing. For what is disillusionment if not literally the loss of an illusion? And in the long run, it's never bad to lose the illusions, the lies, that we've mistaken for the truth. Did Jesus fail to come when you rubbed your lantern? Then perhaps Jesus is not a genie. Did Jesus fail to punish your enemies? Then perhaps Jesus is not a cop. Did Jesus fail to make everything run smoothly? Then perhaps Jesus is not a mechanic. Over and over again, He suggests disappointments can draw us deeper and deeper into who Jesus really is and what Jesus really does. Back to our text. Jesus, you may or may not have noticed, did not give John's disciples a yes or no answer to John's question, are you the one or not? He said to them, go and tell John the things you see me doing. Really? Like raising the dead, including, of course, those who've been spiritually dead, and healing the sick, including, of course, those who've been sin sick, and cleansing the unclean, including, of course, the sinfully unclean, And giving sight to the blind, including, of course, those who could ever so hypervigilantly see every one of their neighbor's sins, but they were blind to their own. And giving hearing to the deaf, 
including those who've been made deaf by the din of all the condemnations heaped upon them for their sinfulness or perceived such. And to the poor, including the spiritually poor, bringing the good news that is so good there's no bad news that can take it from you for the news, the best news, the news there is, is that I don't care what others say to you or about you or around you. By God, by God, you are loved. And then Jesus said that curious thing, and tell John, blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. Blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. Why in the world would anyone, especially John, be offended at Jesus? Could it be because many, especially many who are religious, maybe even John, thought or think that the Messiah's primary purpose And therefore, the church's primary purpose, too, is first of all, to get rid of the world of sinners. And of course, typically thinking about those people and their kinds of sins. And therefore, the church's second primary purpose is to turn the world into a place that will be as good as its holier-than-thou members are righteous, never again sinning. But looking at all the things Jesus did and listening to the things Jesus said, it seems really quite obvious that though of course he's all in favor of righteousness, he saw his primary purpose as forgiving sin and sinners. And then turning the world into a place that would only ever be as good as its people's realization that they and all the sinners of the world all the way down to the depth of the darkness of their own unrighteousness are so amazingly graced. So, so John was right, but he was wrong too. For yes, Jesus, the one John points us to in this Advent season, is indeed coming after sinners, but he's not coming to scare the sin out of them. He's coming to forgive the sin out of them. For he didn't, and he doesn't, and he won't come down from heaven to hate sinners to hell. He came down, and he comes down, and he will come again, and he will reach all the way to hell anytime it proves necessary in order to love sinners all the way home. So, well, so, sinner, it is Advent. Listen to John. Repent of your sin. But too, sinner, it is Advent. Listen to Jesus. Turn toward his wide open arms of grace. And too, sinner, oh so graced, turn to your neighbor. Remembering truly he taught us to love one another. And in his time, in his time, all oppression will one day cease. In the meantime, it is love, the love of Jesus that is alive in you, that is the light in this world. Just as it is hope 
the promises of Jesus just resting in your heart and claimed by you, it is hope that fuels, loves, fires, flame. Amen.